the idea of vulnerable leaders, ones who are willing to admit when it's hard, to admit when they're wrong, a lot of people won't talk about it because they're afraid that well, they will be seen as weak uh, or less than. I finally just had to come to a place where I'm a leader who is in and with vulnerability because that's just who I am. Welcome to Evolve Leadership, the arena where high-achieving leaders are challenged to redefine their limits. My name is Angus Nelson. I grew up in the United States, and I now live in Lisbon, Portugal. I'm an executive coach, and I've spent my career advising and training leaders from startups to Fortune 500 companies. And here's what I've learned. An old, ineffective leadership framework will always keep you on a hamster wheel, consumed with work-life balance, burnout, and stress. Here on the show, each week we'll help you rethink the path to achievement. We'll help you discover new principles, new philosophies to the modern leader. Look, the world is relentlessly changing, demanding a new era of leaders. It's time to redefine your limits. So enter the arena, my friend. It's time to evolve. Welcome to the Evolve Leadership Show. My name is Tim McClagan. I'm the senior coach here at Evolve. And Angus, today we are talking about a dirty word in the leadership circles. It's something that we as leaders don't like, and yet it's probably one of the most powerful tools in the leadership tool belt. We're going to be talking about vulnerability in leadership. Yeah, and unfortunately, that dirty word, I think, is is starting to get more and more acceptable. Thank you, Brene Brown, for all your work to like yes. bring that to the surface. <laughs> and uh, what a fascinating conversation we're about to dive into. Uh, this is someone who I've known for years. <clears throat> she was one of my clients back when I ran the Innovation Association. She used to work for Whole Foods uh, during that season. Super, super smart. But more than that, uh, and you're going to get to hear some of her story. I don't want to spoil it, <clears throat> but she shares the human side of how she became this leader that she's become. You know, the, the elements of her that make her this unique and powerful woman leader uh, within her company being like human, really, really human. And I'll just leave it at that you know, because I, I think that more to it. Um, is something you have to kind of hear it for yourself to experience and relate. So without further ado, this is Natanya Anderson, and she's passionate about the space where people meet technology and create impactful experiences for brands and customers. Natanya considers leadership and team cultivation as the most important work she does. And in her current role as general manager of strategic services at Chorus, she leads an in-house marketing agency that helps some of the world's biggest brands integrate social media into key business strategies and to drive tangible outcomes that support broader business objectives. Outside of that work, Natanya, she's passionate about cooking, which is how she got into Whole Foods. You might hear a little bit about that. She's also into entertaining. She's a great host, and she loves her Peloton loves community her service Peloton. travel. Like, how can you not? I don't know. I, I wouldn't. I'm... I need to be outside. If I'm on my Peloton, I would feel like, I don't know. I've never done it. I'll leave it at that. And then she loves connecting with friends. Natanya Anderson has great things to say. I think you're going to love this conversation. Let's jump into it right now. 
Well, hello, Natanya. It is so great to hang out with you today. How are you? Oh, hello, hello. It is so awesome. It is a great day now that we're having a conversation. I'm trying to remember, like, the last time we saw each other, I'm pretty sure we were eating barbecue with mm -hmm. uh, uh, the boys of Brain Trust Partners, if I remember mm -hmm. correctly. Mm -hmm. I think so that's it has correct. Been I think that was served up to me in my Facebook memories recently, actually. <laughs> it's, it's both creepy how that happens and cool. Right. Yeah. yeah I like to absolutely. see some of that stuff and yeah. holy crap. That was X amount of years ago. And speaking of which, like all that crowd, all that group was like the OG of mm -hmm. social and you were part of that way back when, mm -hmm. if I remember correctly, weren't you like a food blogger? I was, I was, I, um, I worked at a SaaS software company, but I started a food blog on the side cause I loved it. And then um, I actually started a nonprofit for food bloggers here in Austin. And then a role in social came up at Whole Foods and all the people that I knew were like, hey, you should totally go take this job because it's all the things that you love. It's tech and it's social and it's food in one place. Um, so yeah, we were OG back when, when you had to like run your blogs the hard way on WordPress and all of those things uh, back when it was hard. <laughs> yeah. And it was hard, right? So Part of it was iteration. Part of it was, and we said this like before, like just kind of make shit up as you go. Mm -hmm. How much of that has changed now in social? Well, you know, I think what's really interesting is if you and I had had this conversation a year ago or even six months ago, I think my answer would have been different. But one of the things that I've observed is back in the day when we were first starting social, it's like throw things against the wall and see what sticks. And if it sticks, maybe try it again and see if it sticks a second time. But there's so much innovation and iteration and almost no measurement. Uh, and because even if you wanted to measure, you didn't necessarily have what you needed to measure. And the strategies, like we ran them in little teeny tiny, like what are we doing this month or what are we doing for this season or this campaign? But we were a lot more opportunistic about what was going on, which I think was great because it allowed us to, to test and learn. And I just feel like the idea of, of innovation was what ruled. And now as I look at what I'm seeing across social, what I see with my customers, I was on the phone with a customer the other day and they were like, oh, we plan our entire social for a year. And my head kind of went, right? Like, like, what is that even about? Um, and we are, uh, people are talking to us about like measurement frameworks and they're trying to figure out how we measure um, paid and earned alongside of traditional media and how does it all feel feed into the same models and it's like oh social's been kind of operationalized along with the rest of marketing yeah. but what i will say is then elon musk came along and blew us all up right um you know i i think and i've said this to to some of my customers like i feel like it's like it was 10 or 15 years ago because all of a sudden you don't know what the channels are going to do um, you know what new features are going to come out. You don't know what you're going to have to pay for. And so like all of a sudden, I think all those skills we had as OGs kind of have to be applicable again. I mean, I've been like, you need to, you can have a year long strategy, but what are you doing weekly, monthly, quarterly? So in some ways it's a little bit exciting. Um, cause I think we got a little, um, too comfortable. And so I think that's, what's interesting now is, is we're being challenged again to, to be uncomfortable. Well, I want to kind of dive in there before I, 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 the temptation is I want to nerd out with you with the power of AI and uh, algorithms and, and 
like all the validation that's going to be required for all that, blah, blah, blah. But we're not, that's not what this show is about today. I want to like hone in on leadership because mm-hmm. you posted something a few weeks ago and that kind of got my attention. So I, I kind of reached out and it's like, Hey, can we talk more about that? I want to talk yeah. about that leadership stuff yeah. uh, because you had mentioned how now personal development, self-development was, had become more of a primary piece mm-hmm. of you and your career. But before we get that, I want to start back kind of in those early days and social days. And now you're leading at Whole Foods. And then when you and I met, it was 360 was kind of the spinoff that you were part of. Like, what was leadership like for you back then? What were you learning? What were you what was working? What wasn't working? You know, I think it's so interesting to for one thing, my the teams that reported directly to me were relatively small. Right. And so there was a lot more one to one personal leadership. I could really know them and spend time with them. And it it was very much an individualized relationship. But then the other thing that was happening is, especially inside of a big organization, you have to learn to lead through influence without direct uh, oversight or control. And one of the big lessons that I learned was you certainly lead the teams that are in front of you. But if given the opportunity, you can lead people around you and be of service to them. I remember I got on planes at Whole Foods and went and met with all of our regional presidents to try to help them understand social and help them understand how it could help their business. And certainly that was not a reporting relationship, but it was a a leadership position because I brought subject matter expertise to the table. And the same was really true when we were doing the 365 stores because we were an incubation team really looking at what can we try on a small level, three, four, five stores, but then how do we help the business think about scaling that? And so I think one of the big lessons for me is how do you go from leading small individual teams, having uh, impact and influence on the rest of the organization, because those two things are very different. And I think that was the hallmark of the early years. And the beauty, obviously, when you start naivete, you don't know what you don't know. <clears throat> the teams are smaller. The The stakes are not as high. Now flash forward. How big's your team at Chorus? Like, what are you responsible for now? Yeah, my team is about 150 people. And, um, and that size fluctuates depending on the work that we're doing. And so obviously, the ability to have those deep personal connections becomes a lot harder. I certainly have that with all of my frontline teams. Um, but it's hard because I don't get a chance to sit and talk with everybody every day. So it's like, I think leadership shows up in the way that we set and communicate the strategy so that everyone, even if it's someone that I don't talk to on a regular basis, can see themselves in what it is that we're trying to do. I think um, I'm a huge advocate of Brene Brown. Like that's just sort of where I show up. And one of the things that she talks about in Dare to Lead is uh, clear is kind, right? And unclear is unkind. And I think when you're leading more at scale, clarity becomes even more important. But I've also found, at least my personal style is, I think it's easy to be transparent when you're one-on-one with someone, but, and it can be easy to be less transparent when you're leading at scale, but I think transparency continues to be important, Uh, especially because as we look at what's happened in the economy, everybody's been sort of retracting um, and I think transparency 
becomes even more important because people just want to know what's going on and they want to understand how they fit. And so as much as it can be easy to step away from that at scale, I think it continues to be critical um, even when there's a hundred or more people uh, that you are, are responsible for. Yeah. And I think, you know, in the uncertainty coming out of everything we've come out and stuff, we're still enduring. Yeah. It is one thing to know that clarity is kind, Brene Brown. Uh, the second piece, though, however, is especially in large organizations, it's almost like some leaders have, and this is an old school th way of thinking for so many, is like, if I share transparently, if I share vulnerably, mm -hmm. someone will weaponize mm -hmm. the things that I share. And as such, I don't want to share it with anybody, so I will suppress. I've talked to three C-level executives last year who all three of them shared with me about anxiety attacks that they had had mm -hmm. that they dare not share with anybody. They said, I'll share with you, Angus. I actually asked them, I said, can we jump on the show and talk about it? And they're like, oh, hell no. Yeah. <laughs> and one of them has said, I won't talk about this until I retire. Yeah. Like, yeah. how do you see facing your stuff in a way that's honorable, respectful, and powerful? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I think it's interesting. My experience has been that my teams deeply appreciate that. Um, and, you know, I've had to this year share my experiences with losing a job, with being the one who had to pick up the pieces when my peers lost their jobs, being the ones who were there when, you know, th this has been this year I was around in 2008 and I'm just having all of these flashbacks, but of course I have a lot more lessons learned. And I've just come out and said, this is what happened to me and this is how I responded. I try to be the leader that I wish someone had been able to be for me. I try to be the level of vulnerable and transparent. And I found that my team really appreciates that. And so, but I think what's hard is based on what you just said, uh, the idea of vulnerable leaders, ones who are willing to admit when it's hard to admit when they're wrong, all of those things may not be well received by peers or even from senior leadership. And I think that's why a lot of people won't talk about it is because they're afraid that well, they will be seen as weak uh, or less than. And I finally just had to come to a place where I'm a leader who is in and with vulnerability because that's just who I am. And when I try to be anybody other than that, I'm either a poor leader or I tear myself apart. And I will say that uh, as much as social and the internet can be challenging sometimes, I love the amount of content that's just being shared out there every day by people who are making vulnerable leadership and daring leadership okay. Um, because I'm like, oh, this is who I am. I'm not alone in this. But I also had to come to a place where I have enough comfort and confidence in myself that if who I am as a vulnerable leader is not okay with the business that I work for, I know that I can go find another organization that will value it. But it took me years to get to the place of being okay that who I am has to match where I work. And if it doesn't, nobody's wrong or right. We're just different. And so, um, but I also have just done a ton of work uh, on that. And what I know is if I try to be anything other than I am, then I'm not able to show up for myself or for my teams. But I get it. It's a huge challenge. It's terrifying. 
Yeah. And thank you for sharing that. I want to dive into kind of how that all came to be. Uh, but I, I was in a room full of uh, top executives with a $16 billion company uh, last week. And uh, in front of this team of 50 of all their higher level executives, one of them asked me like, how do you create that kind of culture of vulnerability, much less failing in, in a company like ours? And I had opened up the whole talk talking about my season of depression, addiction, divorce, and having mm-hmm. to start all over. And I said, that's how I opened this talk. <laughs> Are you questioning my authority because of how I started this talk? They're like, no. I said, because I own it. Mm-hmm. And I said, that's where it stands is you have to have this level of comfort in yourself, in your own skin, mm-hmm. in your own competence and confidence. And suddenly, it doesn't matter what anybody thinks because now actually they will respect you when you can own your stuff. So I want to jump into like what was kind of the eye opening or introduction or invitation to you for you before we started this, you talked about roar. You talked about Brene Brown, like, okay, come on. I, I, you're speaking my language. I know there's more. How did you get into this personal development space? What was the emphasis for that? Um, so because you, you mentioned your past, I'm just going to come clean on mine. Right. So, um, I do 12 step recovery work. Right. And, um, I am a black belt Al-Anon and, um, doing that work of understanding a, the places that I can and can't control understanding my personal, you know, we call them character defects. And I think they're just about skills that are sort of overworked, right? But how do mm-hmm. I show up in this world? Um, and then what can I do to show up differently? And being willing to do the hard work to understand that I am okay no matter what. Like I had to do that all in my personal life. And then it just became um, practicing these principles in all of my affairs, right? And so, before I did all of those things, I think I understood back when I was a leader, you know, in my past life, I've been leading people for over 20 years and I sort of knew that I wanted to be different. I've always been a vulnerable leader. This is kind of how I've always shown up. The difference is I now have the tools to understand why I show up in ways that I do and do not want to. And what do I do about that? Right. You know, I have, I have tools for, for looking at my part and deciding how I want to be different. I have tools for apologizing. Like I got on the phone with a team member of mine and I apologized on Monday because I was wrong last week. Um, But I think the other piece was doing the personal work to know that no matter what, I am enough. And I spent most of my life believing that my value was in what I produce and what I do for you and what you think about me. And I was finally able to do the work that says no matter who I am, what job I have, what title I have, no matter what, I'm enough. And once I figured out that I was enough, I actually think that that's the thing that unlocked me as a leader, right? Come on, come on, (laughs) right? Like, and this is the thing where people like they freak out when, so going back with Brene Brown, vulnerability is not a weakness. Vulnerability is a strength, Mm -hmm. right? When we have the capacity to be comfortable in our own skin, it's actually our level of authenticity and our level of capacity to be real, to be respected because we're not trying to put on some shtick. Yeah. I think it helps every leader to be far more powerful. And you said this word before, influential. Mm -hmm. 
like how much more you can influence the more comfortable you get in your skin. And therefore, you know, personal development becomes a critical component to leadership, in my opinion. I mean, mm-hmm. that's why I do what I do, right? Mm-hmm. How have you made this shit contagious? Let me just pause for a second to say this. There is one trait that you will find in every successful leader, no matter their industry, no matter their role. And that trait is action. And we want to inspire ambitious leaders like you to bet on yourself and take action on those audacious goals that you see in your heart. That's why we created our 90-day accelerator. It's a results-driven, battle-tested framework designed specifically for high-performing leaders like you to get unstuck and propel you towards your goals. And in just 90 days, you won't even recognize the person you used to be. To be a part of this elite community, go to evolveleadership.org. Now, back to the show. (laughs) Um, So I think there's a couple things, which is I try to... As you know, as a leader, as an executive in my business, there's some things I can't say and some things I can't tell, right? And it's really important to me to basically keep the confidence of my leadership. But with everything that I can say and everything I can tell, I try to approach it with as much humility as possible, right? Which is, but to me, humility is my just right place. And sometimes as a leader, that means being strong and being honest and directing. And so, but then the other places, how do I come at it from a place of service? And so people see when I'm trying to be of service to them. But I think that it's about being willing to take chances and be honest. I have said things in recorded team meetings. Um, I've cried in front of my team um, because, because I needed to and they needed to see, right? You know, we, we lost a lot of really great people in our business and I got on a phone call and I cried because they needed to know that it was okay. And so I try to show people that it's okay to move through our humanity, but that I also have a responsibility to use the tools at my disposal to not let my humanity and my feelings rule me. I acknowledge them and then I do the work to make intentional choices about what I do with that, right? So I I really try to um, take a minute with awareness of what's going on inside of me before I take action. So I I don't think it's any one moment in time, but I think it's about lots of moments strung together in honesty and vulnerability, but also in conscious choice. We use a lot of data to make decisions in our business. I let people know about that. So I try to show them all the pieces of me so they can see how it comes together. Yeah. And you also have gone through challenging seasons, not just, you know, like you said, in your personal life, but as you alluded layoffs, lean times. And I believe for most of leadership, until you go through the hard things, you don't have the resilience, mm-hmm. right? The, the ability to like push through these challenging seasons. So can you take a moment and share like how has, and I like to say this, I believe life prepares you for what life is preparing you for, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, another way of saying it is life prepares you for what life has prepared for you, mm-hmm. right? And so you're being prepared. Every challenge, every failure, every mistake, every misstep was actually wisdom, insights. You know, it's, it's lessons gained for your mm-hmm. advantage. 
Mm-hmm. What does that look like for you? Um, you know, one of the things that's interesting is having been here before, right back the last time we all went through this in the great crash, I don't think I knew then what I was learning. I was a leader, but I wasn't at the level that I was at. And I was just trying to muddle through. And so one of the things that I tried to do when I understood what was happening to our industry, to our economy, to my company was to go down this pretty intentional memory lane and say, how was it? What did I do? What do I wish I had done differently? But also what do I wish I had had that I didn't have access to so that I could try to look at those past lessons and figure out what what can I use from that, right? And some of those things were relevant and, and some of them uh, were not. But, you know, I one of the other things is I believe that I am, I and everybody else, we're doing the absolute best we can with what we have in any given moment. But I believe that ongoing retrospection is really important. Um, We don't dwell because it doesn't do us any good to dwell. But I do regular work every single day to say, what went well? What didn't go well? How do I wish I had shown up? And I think that by being in the habit of regularly inspecting those pieces, I'm able to more quickly identify ways that I can do something different um, but also ways that it was actually okay. I think when we're when you're like very uh, very reflective, it can be easy to just beat yourself up. But I think it's sometimes important to also say like, oh, that went well. So it's as important to file away the things that went well along with the things that I wish I had done differently. And I just think that daily reflection. And I'm I'm also really lucky. One of the things I tell all my teams and my leaders who work for me is that the thing I the thing I most need for them is for them to tell me when I'm smoking crack. And um, and so I think you have to create those spaces. I didn't show up well for my team at the tail end of last year, and they were brave enough to tell me. Mm-hmm. And I had to sit with it and reflect on it, and then I had to come back and be different. And so I think the key to resiliency is being able to be introspective and reflective and use it as a tool and not as a like self-flagellation uh, exercise. I love that. I love that. Um, we, in, in one of our masterminds, uh, we have Wednesdays. We don't have Wednesday. It's not hump day. Oh, it's yeah. Wednesday. And it. reminding leaders, where'd you win? Because we're so hard on ourselves. We, mm-hmm. We're hypercritical. All right. So I want to bring this into... Uh, a couple of reminders that you, I believe, are a bit of a contagion. This is, so this, this is one piece where maybe you don't recognize this, but I recognize this mm-hmm. in just how you show up with your little post on LinkedIn. There's a, a, a thing that you said, today's reminder. And you write on these little mm-hmm. kind of post-it note type of things. And, and one of them was, we can do hard things, a quote mm-hmm. from Glennon Doyle. Mm-hmm. And you said the leader's primary responsibility is to make everyone around them successful. Mm-hmm. How do you help people be successful? So I, I think for people to be successful, they need three things. Um, they need a lot of clarity about what the expectations are in the work that they're doing. I think we value the ability to work through ambiguity. And I, that's just the reality of business today. But I still think that really a lot of honesty about what do I need you to do and what does good look like is important because it removes uh, any question of am I doing my job and am I doing it well, All right? So I think that that's really critical. I think it's important to understand 
if people have the tools and the resources that they need, which is a lot different than what they want um, sometimes, but do they have what they need? Have we taught them how to do the work? Um, do they have the support systems that they need, right? Access to other experts and subject matter folks inside the organization or at a customer or whatever. Um, and I think the last piece is a free flow of information and creating a safe space where if someone feels like they're not being successful, they know that they can ask for help without being, without that being considered a weakness or a failure. So I think creating that space for someone to say, this is not going well for me, or conversely for a leader to say, hey, this isn't really going like we thought it would. But I think if you don't create spaces for honest conversation, you know, radical candor is the thing that comes to mind, right, for, for that particular piece, then it doesn't matter what people have. It's not always going to be perfect. So how do you create space to identify what's not working and figure out how to solve? And so I found that if you can create those three things that you can, most people are successful. And if they're not successful, you can figure out how to get them back on track. Love it. And one of the other quotes you had in there, uh, by the way, I wrote down this because I actually have a meeting with one of my team members tomorrow. And <laughs> that was a great reminder. What does good look like? So I, uh -huh. I'm stealing that one. That was a great reminder because this person needs to know what does good mm -hmm. look like? So thanks for that. That's a gift. Yeah. All right. So Jess, Jess, bleh, easy for me to say, Jess, Sims, which uh, is one of your Peloton uh, instructors <laughs> and the, you're big into your Peloton. I am. Said, we don't have to, we get to. Yep. And then you went on to say, it can be easy when we look at our calendar and our to-do list to frame your day as a series of things I have to do. But when I choose instead of, to think of meetings and activities as things I get to do, choose to do, all aspects of my job become a little bit more rewarding. Mm -hmm. What does that look like for you? Uh, you know, it starts with gratitude and realizing that being a leader of people is a privilege. Uh, I think it can be easy to see it as a right or something that you're owed because you work so hard for so long or you know things that other people don't know. But for me, remembering that it is a privilege to help people be successful, to contribute to their growth, to clear roadblocks. It's just about the attitude for me. And some mornings I can get up and I can look at my calendar and I can just want to go right back to bed, right? Or I can wake up to slacks and I could just want to go right back to bed or sit in my reading nook with a book. And so sometimes I have to go so far as to go through my calendar and tactically say, what do I get to do in this meeting, right? And sometimes it's a little bit easier, but on the hard days, it's like, oh, this is what I get to do. This is what I have the privilege of doing. I am grateful to do X. And really this idea is approaching leadership from a place of gratitude versus um, a place of must have. Because I think as leaders, it can get heavy. It can get really, really heavy and it can feel like a burden that you like carry around. I don't know about you, but I like, feel it in all of my body. And when I choose to approach it from a place of gratitude, it doesn't make the work any less hard, but it makes it much less heavy. And so that's, that's what that looks like for me. Yeah. And when I'm raising all the money to pay for said employees and there are days where you're just like, mm -hmm. the weight gets a little heavier. And when I hear people who complain about those things, who mm -hmm. like talk about their people, like they're hurting cats. Yeah. Like I'm like, you, you don't get 
the opportunity you have. You don't understand the, the possibilities. All right, so I want to leave you with this last uh, word for today. To the leaders that are listening, they're, you're in your car, you're doing dishes, you're sitting on your lawnmower. Uh, depending on the time of year, maybe you're shoveling your snow. <laughs> Natanya has a word for you. Natanya, what would you tell a leader who's listening today? What would be your number one encouragement? Um, you are enough. Mm. Uh, right? Even on days when you think you're not enough and you think that it all went horribly wrong or you think that you don't have the vision or you think you don't have what it takes, you got to this place because you are enough and you will continue to be enough. Come on. Come on. Well, Natani, this is such a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your gift of your vulnerability, your transparency, and thank you for just being such a great human, great leader. Thanks for having me. This has been so much fun. As we wrap up another episode of Evolve Leadership, thank you so much for taking time to invest in you. If there's to be any sustainable growth in your company or even in your relationships, you must grow first. And it's what I love to do for leaders, to help them grow, to challenge their thinking, sharpen self-awareness, to instill an unshakable confidence, and ultimately upgrade their sense of self. And we do this through our proprietary method called Agile EQ+, where we're leveraging agile leadership and emotional intelligence. We provide our signature training for individuals and for businesses, we've designed a unique curriculum for company-wide learning and development. If you'd like to learn more about our training or to schedule a call, you can simply go to evolveleadership.org. And until next time, stay driven, keep climbing, and never stop evolving.